Chapter 7, verse 1 of Exodus reads like this. So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring them out, the children of Israel, from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So this is really the prequel open, opening act for the plagues and these head-to-head confrontations between Moses and Aaron with Pharaoh. Representing God, Moses and Aaron, the Lord, Yahweh, against Pharaoh, who thinks of himself as God. And it's going to just be these showdowns day after day. These things are going to happen where God is going to harden Pharaoh's heart, show himself strong against Pharaoh, to strengthen the faith of his people, and to deliver his people, while also bringing about a perfect just judgment upon Pharaoh's people. And as we go through the plagues, we'll see this just judgment against Pharaoh and all Egypt for what they did to Israel, to God's people, in previous generations, and even up to this time at this generation. And again, these are events taking place about 1500 B.C., about 1500 years before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, came into the world. So we see that Moses is 80, and Aaron's 83. Aaron was his older brother, and then they had this sister, Miriam, and they were all amazing people. We'll we'll get a lot more of Aaron, and we'll get even a lot more of Miriam as we go forward in these books of Moses in the early part of the Old Testament here. And so now their ministry is really coming to its point. The, the prequel, the preseason, it's all over, and now it's, it's going to happen. And we read on in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so. And just as the Lord commanded, And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh, before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Aaron's heart, excuse me, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Again, this is the prequel to the plagues, but this is that first sign. When, when God called Moses, he gave them this sign there at the burning bush that the staff in his hand, that he led the sheep for his father-in-law, that would become the miraculous staff that he'd lead God's people with, that as he put it down, it would turn into this serpent. This, of course, is supernatural. It's not natural. Obviously, we can pick up driftwood anywhere at any beach in the world and say, turn into a serpent, and it's generally not going to turn into a serpent. And what's not surprising that God would turn a stick into a serpent, it is very surprising that the magicians of Pharaoh can turn rods into serpents. That is, that does get my attention. And what it tells us is, this is a spiritual battle. This is absolutely a spiritual battle, and spiritual battles are fought with spiritual weapons. 
we know that our weapons in God, in Christ Jesus, are not carnal, but mighty in God for tearing down strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we know that our spiritual weapons are the word of God, which is living and powerful. We know it's prayer by which we move things in the hand of God so he shows himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And we know we have the armor of God that protects us for advancement only. The armor of God is for going forward. So we're told to put on the whole armor of God for spiritual battle. And we're told to pray without ceasing. And we're told that the word of God is the sword of the spirit for the forward offensive weapon of the kingdom of God. So we fight our battles in prayer and through truth of the word of God. This is why. Because you think, Moses and Aaron, you'd feel pretty good about a staff that could turn into a serpent. Like, wow, who can touch that? This is untouchable. Well, the devil's pretty powerful too. And we don't fear the devil because of his power, because Jesus defeated him completely and totally on the cross, having made a public spectacle of him. Total route, total defeat. But we know before we come to Christ, we are in bondage to the devil. And Pharaoh is a type of the devil. Egypt is a type of the world system. And the slavery of the Jews in Egypt is a type of bondage to sin. And there are spiritual battles that go on behind physical things. And as we go forward tonight, we have to realize that this is a spiritual battle. And this opening scene shows that because these guys are enchanters. They're involved in sorcery. They're involved in the occult. They worship false gods and and nature and pantheistic and all these different things that they did. And these guys had power. These guys right here in Pharaoh's court had more power than we have. They had supernatural demonic power. And we know throughout the Bible and in the New Testament, there are people that are possessed and they have great power. And the only way to overcome them is not in the strength of our name or our flesh, but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Got to remember, this is spiritual. There's a spiritual battle here. There's It's a battle of different dimensions, and even though it's time, space, and matter with Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh and Pharaoh's magicians, there's a spiritual realm behind it, and and it's really to be, it's just straight up Jesus and the devil going at it in a precursor to the battle of the ages for all eternity in the book of Revelation and the establishment of the eternal kingdom. In other words, this is the battle we're all in right now, living for Jesus Christ in the year of our Lord, 2020, in the month of April. Now, we, we did see that Aaron's rod ate their, his snake, you know, his serpent ate their serpent, so there's a greater power there. They're both supernatural. So the Lord said to Moses, verse 14, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning, and when he goes out to the river, to the water, you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed now, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over their rivers, over their ponds, over all their pools of water, that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod, struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh, and in the sight of his servants, and all the water that were in the river were turned to blood. 
The fish that were in the river died in the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river, so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then, verse 22, the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So we get a little timeline here. These events unfolding, we see that there's seven days after the water struck before the next set of things happen with the, the plagues. Now, first thing is we see, again, in the spiritual battle, that the magicians, they can match this again. They can turn water to blood. They can do that. But what they can't do is turn the blood back to water. So they have supernatural power, but they can't usurp or be superior to the supernatural power that God's demonstrating through Moses and Aaron over them. And it's a good reminder, as a lot of people are thinking about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, and a lot of people are thinking about those things. A lot of people ask me, is this the end game going on right now? I'm like, well, if it isn't, it sure looks like a prequel to what it would look like or a preview of coming attractions. And one thing we know about the end game is that when the Antichrist arises, he will unify the planet with a global government, a cashless society. And he'll promise food, and he'll feed the people, and he will be empowered with all the power of Satan. One man, a human being, is going to have all the power of Satan in him to lead the world in a full authoritarian, totalitarian government, which is not that hard to picture right now because you have to realize a country like China is totally authoritarian and totalitarian in its communist state and their leaders. And the UN just recognized them this week to be in charge of uh, human rights for the Human Rights Commission. Now, listen, so many Christians have died in the last two years in China in internment camps. It is madness to think that the global government would recognize that government that's so oppressive that we don't even know the truth coming out of there, what's happened really with coronavirus and COVID-19. We don't really know what's happened in Wuhan. We don't know how many people really died, how many people got sick. Total control of internet, uh, the marketplace of thought, people that speak out against the government from within the government, like you can do here with our government, they disappear and they're gone, they're dead, you don't hear from them again. And we know as a fact, by all kinds of independent reports, that there are multitudes of people being persecuted for religious convictions because, of course, communism accepts no, play, no competitor to marketplace of thought. Theirs is a godless, secular human society where man is God. And realize this, that China makes up one-eighth of the, of the global population, the Chinese. So you say, how can one man have all that power? Well, right now, there's a government that controls one-eighth of the world with totalitarian, authoritarian suppression, and the people bow down to it. They, they submit to it. And this is what's going on. Now, you come back to here now with these guys and their ability to make water turn to blood in the name of Satan, because that's, that's all you can attribute it to. Like, there are no other gods. And we're told by Paul in the New Testament, those who worship false gods worship Satan. There are demons behind those false gods. So it's really easy to let Scripture interpret Scripture. That as these guys worship different gods, and they're doing supernatural works, they're doing it with demonic power, and that power is strong enough to turn water to blood, just like Moses and Aaron. But they cannot usurp the power of turning the blood back to water. But it's still supernatural. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene... 
We, he will lead the world with all lying deception and lying wonders, and people will believe his delusion, and God will give them over to a delusion, much like he's given Pharaoh here over to a hard heart. But someone like Pharaoh, with all the power of Satan, is coming. They're coming. And theirs will be a couch of society, a totally controlling, totalitarian, authoritarian government over the entire world, where one man rules it with all the power of Satan. So whether that's coming in our timeline, my children's timeline, our children's children's timeline, we don't know. Hey, maybe it's coming in the year, you know, 2200s, right? Instead of 2020, it might be 2200. We don't know. But know this, the Lord's coming. Jesus is coming. And before he comes, this type of stuff's going to happen. This type of stuff's going to happen where the supernatural powers are just released in such an incredible way. And the book of Revelation shows God's supernatural power judging the world, and it shows the, the Antichrist system and harmonizing with other parts of Scripture how much power the Antichrist will have at the same time in the world. But know this, when the Lord Jesus comes, he'll destroy him with his very appearance. When the Lord's very appearance with the saints of old, including the Old Testament and the New Testament, those have gone before us, so put Pastor Chuck and Billy Graham there, and all the people, they're just everyday people like you and me, will come in glory. But this is a spiritual battle. And this water to blood, this contra, it's a spiritual battle. Now, it is interesting that the waters turned to blood, and this is where God began his judgments. The first judgment was on the River Nile, which was worship for provision and life for the people. It's ironic because we're told in the book of Leviticus that the life is in the blood, <laughs> and Jesus gave his blood. And he also gave water when he spoke with the spear on his side on the cross. But what's interesting to me is two generations before this, the Egyptians were casting Hebrew children into the river, and they were slaughtering innocent blood in this river, which just goes to show that no one gets away with anything. You never get away with anything. Billy Graham, for 50 years, warned America that there's a day coming, a day of justice for America, as well as the planet. Billy Graham didn't just single out America. But all you need to do is go to YouTube and click Billy Graham, and you can watch his sermons from the 50s, even the 40s, Madison Square Garden, 48. 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, considered the greatest preacher of all time, America's pastor. And that entire time, as he served presidents like Truman, Kennedy, Johnson, Nixon, Ford, Carter, Reagan, Bush, Clinton, Bush, he served all those presidents he was equally true to declare in all those timelines that God has to judge America for what they've done in shedding innocent blood. That was one of the core messages of Billy Graham's ministry. While he preached the gospel of grace, like Greg Laurie today, you know, preaching the gospel of grace and all of us preaching the gospel of grace. But what makes love so great is that the ju- we pass from death to life and we pass from the judgment. This is judgment. Nobody gets away with anything in eternity. You might get away with things in time, me, you, all of us. We might seem to get away with things in time. But in eternity, all things are made straight, and there are no crooked paths. And here, this water being turned to blood, all I can think of is how all those innocent Hebrew children were sacrificed, and their blood was shed in this river. And the one who was delivered from this river has now come back to deliver the people, Moses. For Moses means drawn out of the water. So Moses was spared of the massacre that took place in his generation. How many people that should be 80 
82, 83, 84, like Aaron and him, or 79, 78, 77, at this timeline, aren't even alive because the Egyptians killed them and, and threw those male babies in the Nile River. Pharaoh's first judgment is their God of the river, life itself, water, is turned to blood in the very place where they shed innocent blood in his grandfather's generation. We know for sure in his grandfather's generation, maybe others. In giving the law, God's going to say that he'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children's children's children. Now, we know through faith in Jesus Christ, we can break that cycle. Like, we're not under a curse. So if your family, if you like your family's cursed, hey, all you have to do is receive Jesus Christ because cursed is him who hangs on a tree. So he took the curse. So to break any curse that you think might be there, generational curse upon you or your family, alcoholism, abuse, all type of perversion, violence, all that kind of stuff. Hey, the moment you receive Christ, you pass from that because curse is one who hangs on a tree and we're told that curse was on Jesus Christ. So you can break the curse. But you know, when you see families that perpetuate unbelief, sin, rebellion, injustices, generation after generation, then you get like this. And God will visit the iniquity. He'll visit. There were people in their 80s who couldn't get water out of the Nile River on this week who probably thought, is this related to when I got to live and those Hebrew children didn't get to live? Or how about people who are 90 who remembers hearing the cries of the babies when they were thrown in the river and drowned? God is just and true. And God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This first judgment... Blood from the Nile, he's going right to the core. Chapter 8, and the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, but if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, and into your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and in your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come upon you and on your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the water, waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go so they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people to destroy the frogs from your house, that they may remain in the river only. So Pharaoh said, Tomorrow. And he said, Let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God, and the frogs shall depart from you and from your house, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, out of the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart, and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the second plague is the frogs, the reptiles, the frogs, and the stench of all their dead bodies. Wow, you just try and wrap your mind around what was going on. Something that emerges from this passage, this second plague that gets our attention. Again, the magicians still duplicate copycat, but they're just bringing judgment on themselves. They're not able to re- bring relief from the frogs, which we've already covered. But Pharaoh says, hey, you know, okay, can you please take these things away to Moses? 
And Moses said, accept the honor of saying, this is very unique because this doesn't happen with any other plagues. He goes, hey, all right, accept the honor. You, you make the call. It's kind of like when you're finding a resolution with a dispute with somebody. You say, all right, well, you know, you set the terms. You, you, you know, you, you, you make the call. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow. This gets our attention because, of course, with the Lord, everything's today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you will not harden your heart, he'll respond to us. This is the day that the Lord has made. Give us this day our daily bread. With the Lord, everything is today because we can't change yesterday and we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things shall be added unto you for sufficient is the trouble for today. See, God's people, our economy is today. And that's the greatest asset we have is today, to know the Lord today, to grow in the Lord today to love and have the human experience today, to be in the moment, to know that no matter the trials, we can have the joy of the Lord and we can know love and show love and experience love in the deepest, darkest places of the human experience or in the highest mountaintops of the human experience. We have today. And you just never know what today will bring, but God is always operating today. But for the unbeliever, it's pretty much always tomorrow. Tomorrow, we'll get to that. Tomorrow, I'm going to build this. Tomorrow, I'm going to do that. That's why in the book of James, James says by the Holy Spirit, hey, come you who say tomorrow we're going to do this and make all this profit and this and that in the stock market. We're going to invest in real estate here. We're going to invest in uh, oil there with these people. Hey, how many people said tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow in the last year who today are crushed by the, the massive gargantuan economic losses on this planet? right now in the month of April. Maybe they're saying today. Isn't this pandemic feel like it's today? Quarantine's like today. <laughs> you can't, you know, you think too far down the road on a quarantine, man, I don't know what happens to you, but if I start, you know, if I think if we're still quarantined after May 4th, I start to have an anxiety attack. Now, fortunately, things I love to do, I can do under house arrest, essentially. I love my wife. Okay, that works. I love my, my Cavaliers, Fitz and Lucy. I even kind of love Max the cat and Goldie, the old dog, my dad's dog. I love Huntington Beach in that way, you know, and I love that I can still go outside in Huntington Beach. I can wear a mask and do whatever I want pretty much still. I mean, you can, hey, if, you, if I wanted to surf, I could go surf in Huntington Beach. It's one of the few open beaches on the entire planet, which is pretty amazing. But even if I couldn't surf, it doesn't matter because I, I love to, my interest is the DJ board. My interest is dancing. I can do that in my room. My, my office, is, a, is it's, a, it's a DJ studio, it's a dance studio. I was talking to Brian Jameson today, and, or the other, yesterday, and he was talking about how the girls still doing their dance online, so three rooms are set up for dance studios. I'm like, hey, that's four counting mine, you know? I'm going to be in Colorado again with my son Luke and Belle shortly, and their, their daughter Clementine, and helping out with them as they prepare for the birth of their child, and um, I don't mind being under house arrest in that condo with my, with my granddaughter, But I'm focused on today, and maybe, like, I might go there tomorrow or whatever, but I'm in the moment today. When I got up this morning, this is what I need to do first. I need to finish, you know, my deceased mom's tax return. I need to send out a memo to the WG ministry team. I need to review the study I'm teaching tonight. I need to do this, and I need to do that, and then I'm going to take a nap, and then I come back, and then I got to do this tonight. I'm in today. Quarantine, time out for entire planet, If there's one thing God might say, be still, know that I am the Lord, and it's today. 
When God says be still and know them in the Lord, it's about today. It's not about tomorrow. But with Pharaoh, it's tomorrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, you know, like yeah, okay, well, hey, I don't want you to think you're in control here. Since I make the call, I'm going to sleep with the frogs one more night tomorrow. <laughs> Isn't it crazy how, like, reasonable people, powerful people think insane and out of their mind when they begin to realize they're not actually in control? It's crazy. Tomorrow, like, don't you think you want to get rid of the frogs tonight? I'm just thinking tonight's better unless you like sleeping with frogs. Do you like opening your refrigerator, your pantry during the pandemic and seeing frogs in there? I mean, I think tonight, today, but if, if we have frogs in our house and the Lord says, hey, Sam, Hector, Joy, when you want to get rid of the frogs? I'm like, now? Ahora? <laughs> you know, see, just, you know, like, it's, it's now in Russian. You know, it's like, now. You know, like, yeah, I want to do now. Not tomorrow. Today. But the world's always like, when do you want to give your life to the Lord? Ah, tomorrow. When, when are you going to go to church? Ah, tomorrow. When are you going to watch the Great Glory broadcast? Ah, tomorrow. When you, you know, when are you going to think about others? Tomorrow. When are you going to die? Tomorrow. Hey, there's a day appointed in a men by which we step into eternity, and it will be a today when it comes. He said tomorrow, and you'll notice as we go through the plagues, God says, so tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh set the standard that is tomorrow. And as we go forward, God's like, so uh, they're coming tomorrow just for you. He let Pharaoh set the terms tomorrow. And then God works with tomorrow with these plagues. Watch this. Check it out. We move on to the third plague, verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your rod, strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand, and his rod struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so work with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Okay, so they've tapped out. On plague number three and the prequel, the rods, they're done. They can't, they're, this, it's, it's big league ball. This is out of their wheelhouse. They can't even match this now. And then the magicians say... It says, that, so there was lice on man and beast. Verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them just as the Lord had said. Yeah, it's the finger, it's the finger of God. So now these guys in this spiritual battle at being led demonically, they're like, hey, Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Just like when God's finger wrote on the wall to Belshazzar, many, many techlias farsin. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Hey, when the finger of God is against you, <laughs> it's not good. The lice, lice, just the thought of it, just like, lice, you know, like, when you read stories of people who are incarcerated, like Corey Tim Boom or whatever, like in War and Peace, it says, you know, when they're they're prisoners and they have lice, it's just part of it, but if I can get from here to eternity and never have lice, I'd be good with that, and I think you think the same thing, but they had lice, and there was nothing anyone could do about it. The next plague is verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. So here comes Pharaoh, like, yeah, I'm Pharaoh. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me, or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I'll send swarms of flies on you and your servants and on your people and in your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. And in that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarms of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land. I will make a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall be. Verse 24, and the Lord did so. 
Thick swarms of flies came into the house of Pharaoh, into his servants' houses, into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted because of the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. And Moses said, It is not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord our God as he will command us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. Intercede for me. Then Moses said, Indeed, I'm going out from you, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore, and not let the people go sacrifice to the Lord. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of the flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. Also, neither would he let the people go. So Pharaoh just keeps hardening his heart. The Lord keeps hardening his heart. It's like, who hardened his heart first? Does it matter? I mean, (laughs) Pharaoh's under judgment from the Lord, and that's between him and the Lord for all eternity. He's on display, and we're going to understand why he's on display as we go forward in the text in just a moment. But the thick swarms of flies came, so again, I hate flies. In Huntington Beach, it's fly, there's a fly season. It kind of begins right about May. And if you got dogs or people got dogs in your neighborhood, the flies come. And we call it the fly wars. We go to Albertsons, get like four fly swatters. And, you know, we run the AC just to keep the flies out. And I don't know. I don't know if you're like me, but if there's one fly in the house, I'm merciful. Like, I'm merciful to spiders and certainly crickets and things like that. But the flies, man, I just, flies must die. Like, you know, flies must die. They, 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 do, they do really gross things. They're flies. And they come in my house and they land on my pancakes or whatever. Flies must die. So let this be a warning to any fly. Don't come in my house because you're going to die. And I'm coming for you. But there's always one that gets lost and you can't find him. And in the middle of the night, he's like buzzing you, whatever. Like, there's that fly. But that's a whole other Bible study. So the flies came. And again, the Lord says, that's a sign for you tomorrow. They're coming. So God's working with tomorrow for Pharaoh. Hey, guess what's coming? Tomorrow, the flies are coming. Since you're about tomorrow, I'm sending flies tomorrow. And God says, I'm making a distinction between you and my people. We'll get to in a moment as well. But then the people are going to leave, and Pharaoh says, don't go very far. And that's what the devil would say to all of us when we get saved and we get excited for the Lord and we're going to go for it. Don't go very far. Don't dream big dreams. Don't think God could really use you in a super way. Whatever you do, don't do what William Carey said, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. The devil wants to dumb down your vision, your calling, your dream from the Lord. And he'll say, don't go very far. Stay close to the world. Stay close to Egypt. Stay close to where I call the shots. Stay close to bondage. Don't go very far. Go to church, but don't, I mean, be religious for an hour on Sunday. But don't, I mean, who, who gets up and reads their Bible on Monday? Those are, those, those are the same people that go in Christian bookstores. Those are kind of, you know, like, what kind of people do that? Well, the kind of people that are actually redeemed and growing in Christ, those kind. I can remember in my life in the 80s, early on, wanting to serve the Lord, and the devil would say, don't go very far. Go to church on Sunday, but, you know, you're not the kind of person that goes in this store, listens to that kind of music, and buys those kind of books. Don't go very far. 
You're the kind of person who listens to this kind of music, hangs out with these kind of people. Man, be careful. Don't let Pharaoh keep you from going all the way that the Lord wants to take you. Go for it. All the way. When, when, when the Lord's saying, I want you to go here, there, everywhere, all these places, you got to go. Because again, if you sit around, the devil's going to come to you and just go like, hey, don't go very far. Going somewhere far is like for young people. Serving in a ministry team is for like those kind of people. You're just a church person. Don't go very far. Hey, take that thought captive. And I would say the exact opposite. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Think big. Dream big with Jesus Christ over the dream and over the fears to the left and to the right and go very far, go as far as you can because you only got one life to go as far as you can with the Lord and you don't want to come up short. Go far, 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 uppercase F-A-R, far as possible with the Lord. As far as the Lord wants you to take you, you go there and don't miss it. The devil's like, don't go far. Don't. There's so much devil and Pharaoh. Don't listen to that. Now we read on in chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and tell him, thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, that my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle, in the field, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day and all the livestock of Egypt died, but of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent and indeed not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard and he did not let the people go. So this disease on the livestock is the fifth plague and this is magnified in its context for the distinction that the Lord makes between his people and the lost. Now, God loves everybody. God so loved the world. He gave his son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God does love the world. But we are told in Isaiah 53, he will save his people from their iniquities. So it's not a universal salvation just because Jesus came and died on the cross. It is a personal response of receiving Christ by which we become the children of God and we pass from the children of wrath to becoming joint heirs with Christ that we're told in the New Testament. And God makes a distinction between light and darkness. We're going to see that before we're done, spiritually and morally and literally. Genesis 1, light and darkness, distinction, the day. John chapter 1, light and darkness, distinction, righteousness, unrighteousness, faith, unbelief. As many as believed him, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. John chapter 1. But Jesus went on to say, men love darkness and, uh, you know, they don't come to the light because their, their deeds are evil. So distinction, God draws distinction. So my point is this, especially in a time like we're in right now here in April with the pandemic and the fear of COVID-19 and really what our jobs look like in May and June, what our schools look like. Do we have high school graduations? Are the colleges going to be running up and running? Are they going to be playing Major League Baseball by the July? I mean, is the NBA going to finish its season? Is the Olympics really going to happen in 2011? I mean, just it's such an unknown world. We just I'm just using sports, let alone the business world. Like, what's going to go on? But know this. We're told by Isaiah the prophet, keep thee in perfect peace whose heart is stayed upon thee because he trusts in thee. And God makes a distinction. And as the people of God, we don't have to worry. He's going to filter everything in our lives. And he's going to protect us from evil. And he's going to provide for us, for our families. And he's going to take care of us. 
with Jesus Christ. Again, all the promises are yes, yes, and amen. And God makes a distinction. Now, if someone's unsaved, they haven't given their life to Christ, they have every reason to be unsettled and fearful of COVID-19 and the end of their journey and all that they live for, because they're not living for eternity, so they're living for time. And COVID-19 can definitely end your journey in time, as are many other things that can end your journey in time. Time will end your journey in time if you live long enough. You'll drop dead. So there's going to be an end. You go the way of all men. God draws a distinction of the blessings and the protection in the New Testament, in the human experience, just like he did right here. Not one cattle died in Goshen. Our God draws distinction. Verse 8, the sixth plague. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, take for yourselves a handful of ashes and furnace from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh and it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. Then they took the ashes from the furnace, stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward the heaven, and they caused boils that break out and sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Wow, like just boils? Like, this is just so human. You know, it's like, it's like the bad side of the book of Leviticus, just what the body can do. It's, we're flesh. We're corruptible. And here with these boils, it's striking the flesh, and we see that the magicians could not, verse 11, stand before Moses. There comes a point where people who mock God, who mock his people, who taunt the Lord, mock his word. Man, be careful. Let God's word judge you. Don't you judge it. All you have to do is look at any news story, and everyone's got an opinion right now. And if you read what people say, there are people who are so blasphemous and evil and mocking God's people and mocking his word. Man, oh man, I got one word for you. Boils. Boils. Every evil person on this planet who blasphemes the Lord, they'll step into eternity, and they will be as ashamed as Janice and John are right here, covered in boils. There's a day when all these people who rage against the Lord and his people and all that's true, just, noble, praiseworthy, and virtuous and righteous on this planet, there'll be a day, and they rage, and they rage against you and me and our faith in Jesus, and they rage against, they rage against the Lord, and they spit venom and poison, and they stand against everything evil, and even in a plague, they still want to just keep slaughtering babies in abortion clinics with taxpayer dollars. These people, there's a day when they're covered with boils, and they won't be able to look the church in the eyes. That day's coming. Let God be true, and every man a liar. It's a serious word, and it's true. There's a day when all the demonic magicians on this planet are covered with boils, and they're too ashamed to even look at the people who have served the Lord, those they've attacked and mocked. Think how Joseph's brothers felt when they were revealed to their brother, and they realized their sin. They were stunned. Now, that's a ministry of reconciliation when we give our life to the Lord, that we are forgiven and cleansed, but for people that step into eternity... There are people that blaspheme at their very last breath, but before they step in outer darkness by themselves for all eternity, a whole other dimension in torment, they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, just like these guys ashamed to stand before Moses. These guys were so full of themselves when they cast down their staffs in the prequel to all these plagues. And here, all things are naked and barren before him to whom much given account. There's nothing hidden that won't be revealed. Verse 13, 
Then the Lord said to Moses on the seventh plague, this is the seventh plague, the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time I will send my, all my plagues to your very heart on your servants and on your people, that you may know there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth as yet you've exalted yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as not been in Egypt since it's founded until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man, every animal which is found in the field is not brought in, and they shall die. Verse 20 is interesting. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee into the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, which most likely, of course, is lightning. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail. So, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt on all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there be me no more mighty thunderings and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops." So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh, spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would the children of Israel go, would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. So the seventh plague was the hail the thunder, and the lightning. And, you know, Moses just goes, I know you're not going to let us go. So Moses wasn't caught off guard. We're seven plagues in. It is noteworthy that God says, for this reason I raised you up. Back there in verse 16, this, this is why you're here. So again, Pharaoh's a vessel of wrath by which God has shown his might and strength against him. And it's important that we understand that God's wrath has been revealed against all unrighteousness, and there is a judgment. Throughout the Bible, there's judgments. Throughout the Bible, we see God's wrath because God is righteousness and there is wickedness. And even Pharaoh, by his own mouth, says, I've sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and me and my people are wicked. That's right. And that's why every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father in eternity when the books are open in Revelation 20. It's prelude for non-believers. The books are going to be open. People are going to see their whole life, all their blasphemy, all their unbelief, all their rebellion against God, like I was just talking about, and they're going to look at Jesus, and they're just going to say, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father, and they're going to be cast out. But for you and me, through faith in Jesus Christ, or if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, 
You're willing to turn from your sin. Unlike Pharaoh, who's hardening his heart, you're softening your heart, and you want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. You pass from the books being opened to the book of life, the Lamb's book of life, and you pass from death to life. We're told when we give our life to Christ, we actually pass from this volume of books, if you will, that are like a, a, a endless YouTube clip of our life in rebellion to God, and we're now in a new book with a new clip, and all the righteous things and the good things of the Lord revealed through Jesus Christ are attributed and reckoned to our account. Thus, we are in the Lamb's book of life. It's like, man, it's like the will is open and you're in this state and you're in the will. You're in the Lamb's book of life. We pass from death to life because we're willing to admit we've sinned, but unlike Pharaoh, we actually repent from our sins and we get a new heart because if anyone's in Christ or a new creation, all things have passed away, all things are new. So Pharaoh, he was never going to turn around. He's like Judas. He's just, you know, he's just a bad ending. But if we soften our heart, we have a good ending. And, you know, Pharaoh's an example to us. Don't harden your heart to the Lord. Stay tender. If you hear the Lord speaking, respond this day and go forth with what he's showing us. Because Pharaoh, he sinned more. But you and I, we can repent and be delivered from our sins and begin to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord and a blessing to humanity, which is a life we want to live that not only is fruitful in time, space, and matter, but is beneficial for what God has for us in eternity as well.